0: Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org Welcome again to GCC. Uh, Really glad you're here. If you don't know me, my name is Brad, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of bringing the word this morning. Uh, We're in week two of a four-week series on church membership. So one of our goals this year as a church is to roll out a church membership Uh, church membership process that helps us as a church family uh, do and be the kinds of things that God has called us to do and be. And so we're explaining what that membership process is going to look like in these uh, sermons. This is week two. We'll have two more in this series, and then we'll move on to another series. And so uh, if you're new to GCC or maybe even new to Christianity, I will admit this is a little bit of a weird series for you to pop in on, Um, but I hope that you will still uh, learn something about who we are as a church and even who Jesus is. And what he's called us to be as people who choose to follow him. So I'm glad you're here. We're going to be eventually in Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. It's going to take us a little bit to get there, I will admit. We've got to lay some groundwork. But if you mark the page, we'll be there eventually. As you're turning there, I'm going to open this up in a word of prayer. Father, uh, thank you so much for this morning. And thank you for uh, your people. Thank you for your church. Thank you that uh, people here have gathered to worship you, to encourage one another, to hear from your word, uh, to seek to, uh, yeah, just better follow you and the the commands that you have given us. God, I thank you for your grace. Thank you that we can be here as this group of people and as this church uh, solely on the basis of what you've done for us. Jesus, we thank you that you live the life we never could, you died the death we deserve, and you rose from the grave victoriously, and that we have eternal life. Uh, with you because of that. Not by our own works, our own effort, our own doing, but because of what you've done. God, I pray tomorrow that that truth would be what is what everything that is said this morning is built on and reiterating. God, that we would be people in a church that are committed to you, uh, committed to your gospel, and committed to to making that known in our city. Pray that you would help me and help us as a church grow uh, in clarity and understanding around church membership and everything that entails as we, as we talked about it this morning. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, have you ever used the wrong tool for a job? Like maybe if you've been working on a car or some kind of woodworking project, or maybe even in the kitchen, you use a tool that's not exactly designed for the job at hand? I grew up uh, in Central Oregon on a farm, I've said that before, and so my dad had a, a big shop and we'd pull tractors and all kinds of farm equipment in it to. Uh, to work on it, to do mechanic work, to keep things going. It seemed like there was always something in my dad's shop. And my brother and I were notorious. My dad would get on us all the time about using wrong tools for the job, because when you're working on something and all of a sudden you need a hammer, it's just way easier to use whatever's in your hand as a hammer than to actually go get a hammer. Uh, Or maybe you have a screwdriver and you need to pry something off. And so you like use a little measly screwdriver to try to pry a bolt out or something. Go get a pry bar. And so we learned this really important lesson in my dad's shop uh, that, that what something is determines what it does. That when you have a job, a task in front of you, there's a tool that is designed for that. And it's designed for that because of how it was made, because of what it was created for. So a screwdriver drives screws, a hammer hits things, it hammers, and, and a pry bar pries things. What something is determines what it does. This is true of tools. Uh, This is also true of people. Um, What we are, who we are, determines what we do. Our actions, what, what we do flows out of our character, flows out of our identity, flows out of who we are. And if this is true of people, I would also say that it is true of God, that what God does flows out of who he is. God's identity determines his actions, determines what he does. So in all things in the Christian life, it is helpful for us as we consider who we are and what we're supposed to do as Christians to first start with who God is. To start with who God is, what he has done, who that makes us, and then what we're to do in light of that. And in our conversation about church membership that we're having, I think it's really helpful if we continually start with who God is. Ronnie did this last week as he kicked off this series and opened up kind of the why of church membership started with who God is. And I want to do the same this morning. And it might seem repetitive, but that's a good thing. We're forgetful people. We need to be continually reminded through repetition, through reiteration of who God is, and what he's done, and what that means for our life. And so to start, who is God? Well, God is relational. We serve and love a, a, a relational God, a God who is relational before he created anything, before there was a heavens and the an earth and people in that earth, uh, and creatures in that creation, God was relational within himself. God has always eternally existed in what Christians call the Trinity. That It's a doctrine that there is one God who has eternally existed in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three persons within the Godhead have existed in perfect relationship with one another for before time existed. In perfect love, in perfect unity, in perfect submission, they existed together in relationship. And it's an overflow an outpouring of that perfect relationship, that perfect love within God himself, that creation comes. God creates out of an overflow of his relational love within himself. And part of his creation is creatures, humans, who were created to relate to God. God's design for humanity was that we would live in relationship with him, that we would enjoy the love and unity that God enjoys with himself as we live in relationship with, with God. That relationship would also then extend to one another. So God created us to relate to Him, and God created us to relate to one another. But because of sin, these relationships have been broken. Our, 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 our sin against God has severed our relationship with Him, cutting us off from Him, from the source of life, and then damaging the relationships with one another. Our relationship with God was to be defined by His ultimate authority and our submission to that authority creation submitting to the creator. But we decided we wanted authority for ourselves. The Bible calls this sin, and relational chaos is the effect. And so our relationship with God is fractured, is severed. Our relationship with one another in everything from marriage to friendship to family is fractured and broken because of sin. So what does God do about it? Who is God? He's relational. What has God done? Colossians 1 verses 19 and 20 say this, Speaking of Jesus, for in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What has God done? Well, he has sent Jesus. Jesus is the solution, is God's solution to our relational problem. It says that in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God is, or Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, holy God and holy man who came to earth to deal with our relational issues, to deal with our sin, to reconcile all things to himself. The reconciliation of all things includes us to God, but also us to one another, our relationships with each other. And this reconciliation is possible because of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. Peace is available to all who are in Christ because Jesus experienced chaos on the cross. Jesus took our brokenness and sin upon himself, suffered the penalty we deserve for it on the cross so that we could have peace, so that we could have wholeness, so that we could be reconciled to God and then therefore reconciled to one another. So God is a relational God who desires relationship with and among his people. And he's made this relationship possible through Jesus, taking on flesh, dying on a cross in our place and rising from the grave. Through this reconciling work, our relationship with God and therefore our relationship with one another can be restored. So that's who God is and what he has done. What does that mean about us? Who are we now in light of this? We are a chosen people, a a collective group of God's people, God's family. The Bible calls us a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. We're, We're a group of saints. Saints means holy one. We're a group of holy people that are covered by the blood of Christ. When God looks at you and me, he sees perfection. He sees Christ's righteousness. He sees a group of people who are holy in his eyes. He sees sons and daughters, part of his perfect family. This is all because of Jesus. The word most commonly used in scripture to describe or define or talk about this group of people that we are is the word church. And there's two ways we can understand the church. Both are super important. The first is the universal church. The universal church is all believers for all time in all places. Everyone who has ever believed in Jesus Christ and has been brought into God's family, reconciled to him through the blood of Christ, is a part of the universal church. That's followers of Jesus here in Eugene. as followers of Jesus across the world. as followers of Jesus in the past. as the followers of Jesus who are yet to be born in the future. The universal church. The second way we understand the church is the local church. The local church is the visible manifestation of the universal church. So, while the universal church is all believers for all time in all places, the local church is specific believers in a specific place for a specific period of time. The local church is the visible manifestation of the universal church. And what's very important is that the local church is the only visible manifestation of the universal church. There's no other way to physically, visibly, tangibly see this group, the universal church, God's chosen people, other than in the local church. That's how God has chosen to reveal who his people are is through the local church. Now, these local churches can look very different. Some look like this, GCC, where we meet in a ballroom. I don't know how many people are meeting in a ballroom in a Veterans Memorial building. Some churches could be in a house. Churches can be very large. Some churches around the world are hidden and underground because of persecution. But nevertheless, the only visible manifestation of the universal church is the local church. This means then that to be part of the universal church, to be a follower of Jesus, means you need to be part of a local church, because that's the only way that universal church is expressed. It would have been unheard of in the first century. So when 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 Jesus, after Jesus ascends into heaven and the church starts uh, being born and growing, it would have been unheard of for someone to be a Christian and not part of a local church. That, that would like, wouldn't compute. That wouldn't have been a thing to be a Christian and not part of a local church in the first century. Now, in the 21st century, uh, it's actually very common to be, consider yourself a Christian and not part of a local church. Uh, we hear phrases like, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. And uh, granted, there has been a lot of very real abuse that has happened in churches. There's very real church hurt. There's very real reasons for people to be maybe skeptical of the church uh, or to avoid particular churches. But these imperfect churches are referred to in scripture as the bride of Christ, the holy, pure, and spotless bride of Christ. And so to say, I love Jesus, but hate the church would be like saying to me, Brad, I love you, but I hate Jenna. That's my wife. That wouldn't go over super well with me uh, because Jenna and I are one. We're one flesh. We're united in marriage. I love and cherish her. And so if you love me but hate her, your love for me all of a sudden doesn't mean uh, what you think it means because you hate my bride. The local church is the bride of Christ. And so to love Jesus and hate the church, you're hating his bride. There's problems there. So as imperfect as churches are, as imperfect as local churches can be, They're still the only visible manifestation of the universal church, and it's our responsibility as followers of Christ to be a part of one. That's who the church is. That's who we are. What do we do? What does the church do? Well, the church relates. We can understand the role of the church through the distinct relationships that the church has. First, the church relates to God. Uh, We relate to God through worship. We come on a Sunday morning, and we sing songs of praise to God, and we pray together, and we hear from His Word. We, the church relates to God through worship, through submission to His Word, and through prayer. The second type of relationship the church has is a relationship with one another. We relate to one another within the church, the members of the church. We relate to one another through love and service. The Bible has a lot to say about how we relate to one another as members of the church in various roles and responsibilities. Elders of churches are to lead and shepherd and teach. Members of churches are to submit to the, the leadership of the elders. Church members are to love and care for one another and consider the needs of others above their own. We're to care for people financially. We're to care for people physically. We're to consider the needs of one another. There's these, all these relational mandates within the context of the church that we are to fulfill. And then the third relationship the church has is with the world. We relate to the world. And our relationship to the world is, could be uh, thought of in terms of ambassadorship. The church is like an embassy in a foreign country, an embassy that represents the kingdom of God behind enemy lines in enemy territory where we represent who our God is through our proclamation of the gospel. In word and deed, we tell people and show people who Jesus is and what he is like as a representation of him, the church. So we relate to God, we relate to one another, and we relate to the world. So, okay, who, the who, what, who, what model that we just did. Who is God? He's a relational God. A relational God who created us to be in relationship with him and one another. We break these relationships. We broke this relationship because of sin. So God sent his son to reconcile us to him and us to one another, which means that all those who come to Christ for salvation are now the church, universal and local, the gathered body of Christ, holy, beloved, family of God. And the role of the church, our role as the church then, is to relate. To relate to God through worship, to relate to one another through love and service, and to relate to the world through mission and evangelism. And here at GCC, we believe that to best live out these relational roles of the church, we need church membership. So, so that's where all of this is going. That's why I did that whole thing is because we believe that church membership is the best context, the most helpful context for us to be and do all that the church is to be and do, according to scripture. We believe that church membership is going to help us more faithfully relate to God, relate to one another, and relate to the world. Now, admittedly, the word or phrase church membership is not in the Bible. And sometimes that can be pushed back to rolling out some kind of more formal church membership like we're, like we're trying to do. To that, I would say that the word Trinity is not in the Bible either. Uh, but for 2,000 years, the church has held to a view of God that he eternally exists as one God in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And to not believe this about God would to mean that you are not Christian. This is a big deal in Christianity, the doctrine of the Trinity, and yet the word Trinity is never used. Where does it come from? As we read the story of scripture, evidence of God existing in three persons arises from the text and emerges, and we can see and conclude confidently that God exists in a trinity that is one God in three distinct persons, and that's a doctrine of the church. So in a similar way, though we don't see the word or phrase church membership explicitly used in scripture, I believe that as we read the New Testament, evidence of church membership arises from the text. And we can see that there is something going on in that early church like what we would call church membership. We see elders that are established to care for and shepherd and lead specific groups of people, flocks that were entrusted to them. Uh, In Acts, uh, which we'll read in a little bit, someone was keeping count. There's reports throughout the book of Acts of numbers of people that are being added to the church day by day. Also in Acts chapter 6, uh, there we, we learn of a daily distribution to, of food and resources to groups of widows, and there's a specific ethnic group of widows uh, in Acts chapter six that are not being their, their needs aren't being met in the daily distribution. People in the church notice this; they bring it to the leadership, and the church takes a vote: who's going to care for this specific group of people, this specific group of widows, care for their needs? In First Timothy five, there is a, a list, a role. That widows are enrolled on in the church so that they can be cared for. In 1 Corinthians 5, we see church discipline acted out and a member of the church excommunicated and removed from the church body because of unrepentant sin. That there's some kind of defined, distinct group of people that is the church that they removed someone from because of unrepentant sin. We see financial gifts that are sent from church to church to help with needs. Uh, We see regular gatherings where members come together to enjoy the Lord's Supper and teaching together. We see family meals. So in all these different ways, it seems clear in the New Testament that once you believed in Jesus and were baptized, you joined a local church. And as a part of that local church, you were committed to those members. You were committed to that group of people in that specific context in that specific place. So we see evidences of membership throughout the New Testament, even though the word is never used. Now, because the word is never used, because church membership isn't an explicit command in Scripture, I do think that churches have some freedom to implement church membership in different ways in whatever seems fit for their context. And so that's what my goal today is, is to explain how GCC is going to implement church membership. The topic of, the, of today's sermon is the how, the how of church membership. How are we going to do this as a church here at GCC? And we're going to split this up into two ways, becoming a member and being a member. How do you become a member at GCC? And then how will you actually be a member? And this is where we're going to look in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible, if you have the, the page marked, open up to Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 36. Verse 36. Acts begins where the gospels end. Jesus has uh, risen from the grave, and he's spent about 40 days with 120 people that witnessed and saw Jesus after his resurrection. And at the end of those 40 days, Jesus ascends into heaven, and then he tells the apostles to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and then they're going to go start preaching the name of Jesus, and the gospel is going to spread. The kingdom of God is going to spread. And so in Acts chapter 1, this happens. Jesus ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes, and then the apostles are filled with the Spirit, and Peter gets up and starts preaching to a large group of people on the day of Pentecost. The majority of Acts chapter 2 is Peter's sermon, and we're going to jump in at the very end, the very last thing he says, which is kind of a summary statement. His sermon is all about who Jesus is as, as the Messiah, as God, how he was crucified and resurrected. So let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 36. It says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is Peter's summary statement. All the house of Israel should know that Jesus, who you crucified, is now, meaning he rose from the dead, he's alive now, Lord and Christ, the Messiah, the promised Messiah from the Old Testament that you've been waiting for. The people respond, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They're convicted. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The crowd is cut to the heart. They're convicted. The message of Jesus and the gospel, it, it, it sinks in. It takes hold of their heart. And the, the next logical question is, okay, if this is true, what do we do? What do we do from here? Peter responds, repent. Repent and be baptized. They repent and they're baptized. And then they become something. They become the church. They become this movement uh, that spreads across the world and that we're a part of today. They, be, they, 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 are, they join, they become part of God's chosen people, the church. So how does someone become a member of the church? What is required for membership in the church? Simply speaking, salvation, repentance, and baptism. So repentance is, is turning. Repentance is turning from something towards something else. In the context of Christianity, it's turning from sin and towards Christ. Repentance is acknowledging that you have uh, rejected God's authority in your life. You've chosen to define good and evil on your own terms. You've broken his commands. You, you, you've broken yourself relationally off from him because of sin. It's acknowledging that and then turning towards Christ, believing in him for salvation, submitting to him as Lord and Savior of your life, and, and trusting in his finished work on the cross to cover your sin and forgive you. That's repentance. It's turning from Christ or from sin to Christ. Baptism, then, is a visible representation of your union with Christ. It's, it's identifying with Christ in his death when you go under the water and identifying with Christ in his life and resurrection when you come out of the water. Baptism does not save you, but it is a sign that you are saved. Uh, baptism is a public proclamation of your union with Christ. Uh, it, it's like when... Uh, High school recruits are committing to a college. And if you ever watch, is it like, I don't know if they call it a day, selection day or whatever, but they have all the hats of the schools that they're considering, and then they put a hat on of the school that they're going to commit to. It's kind of like what baptism is. It's saying, I'm on Jesus' team. It's a public proclamation that I'm identifying with Jesus and with his people. It's putting on the Jesus hat and saying, "I'm I'm now identifying with him and with this movement, with these people. That's what baptism is. And this is what Peter says is required. After you hear the gospel message and you want to become part of this, you want to become part of the church, repent and be baptized. So who can be a member? Baptized believers. How are we going to determine if you're a baptized believer? Basically, we're going to ask, but we're going to ask uh, in a series of, of ways here. So we're going to get real practical here, uh, but this is helpful to know. If you want to be a member at GCC, once the series is over and we start to roll this out, the first thing you will do is fill out an application. Membership application will ask for information uh, about you, uh, social security number, credit card. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) No, it's just uh, basic information about your church history, uh, whether or not you've been baptized, if you're interested in serving in different areas in the church. And then it's going to ask for you to write out your testimony. You can either write it out or I guess you could take a video of yourself. I'm going to choose to write mine out. And that's explaining your story of salvation, how, how you have come to acknowledge uh, your sinfulness and believed in Jesus for salvation. This application was submitted, elders will review it, and then the elders will reach out to you to set up an interview. At that point, you get to meet with an elder, get to, you don't have to, you get to meet with an elder uh, who will hear your story firsthand, make sure you understand the gospel, talk through our doctrinal statement and those kinds of things. Uh, and then from there on, you'll become a member candidate. As a member candidate, you'll be given some homework. Uh, short, really short book, really short book, more of a pamphlet than anything, uh, but a book that you have to read um, and some videos to watch explaining who we are as a church, um, our doctrine, those kinds of things. Then there will be membership class. The class is an opportunity to talk about that homework, ask questions of the elders, and then from there at the next members meeting, uh, your membership will be voted on by current members of the church. Now, the vote is based solely on the genuineness of your confession of faith, not on like how good your style is, not on if you're a liability on the man camp basketball team, not on like if you've ever hurt someone's feelings in the church. Uh, if, we made, if we voted people into the church based on things like that, we would be no different than some other exclusive club. We're not an exclusive club that is, is gathering like pe- people that are like one another, we're a church. The only thing that we have in common is that we're we're once broken sinners, but we've been made whole and new because of the blood of Jesus. That's what's required for salvation, and it's what's required for membership as well. Now, there's a, a little caveat. Part of this process, and I didn't say it, anything more about it on purpose because we're going to have a whole sermon on it next week, is signing off on our church's doctrinal statement. So when we think of the church's doctrine, uh, there are core doctrines. The cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith that... The church has believed for 2,000 years since the church began, and these are doctrines that make someone distinctly Christian. These are things like Trinity, we talked about that, the divinity of Jesus, the authority of Scripture, the sinfulness of man, things where if you didn't believe one of these things, you would categorically not be considered Christian. That's like the to-die-for core doctrines of the church that you would need to agree with in order to become a member. There's another layer of doctrine. Uh, we'll, so there's die-for doctrines. We'll call these the divide-for doctrines, doctrinal distinctives. And these are doctrines that are not, we're not dying for them. They don't make someone not a Christian, if you think differently. But they do divide churches. These doctrines are why we have multiple denominations around the world that are all still Christian, all still believing the gospel, but have distinctions, differences in how they, how they live that out in the context of church. These doctrinal distinctions will be taken into consideration when considering membership, and that's all I'm going to say, and I'm going to leave the rest to Rick <laughs> next week. Uh, so if you have questions about that, and I'm sure you do, that's okay. Um, hopefully, they will be answered next week. So becoming a member, salvation, repent and be baptized. Now, I want to be very clear here, very, very clear. Membership in a church is not a requirement for salvation, okay? Salvation is a requirement for membership. You do not have to be a member of a church to be saved, but being a member of a church does affirm your salvation. Jesus says the word church in two places in the gospel. He says the word three times, it's in two places. Um, Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom, very little about the church, but when he talks about the church, it's super interesting. Uh, The two places are Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. We're going to look first at Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. Jesus asks his disciples who people are saying Jesus is, and they respond with all these different answers about who people are thinking that Jesus is. Then Jesus directs the question at them, the disciples. Who do you say that I am? This is when Peter gives this kind of infamous confession. In verse 16, it says, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter makes, makes the right confession here. He acknowledges who Jesus is as the Christ, Messiah, the son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, there's been debate uh, throughout church history about what this rock is or who this rock is. Uh, is the rock Peter? Is the rock the con- his Peter's confession? Different things. Um, recently read a pretty compelling argument that the rock is both. That it's Peter and his confession. Because that's what the church is. It's built on people who confess Christ. That's the church. <laughs> it's people confessing Christ. And coming together. And so, on that confession, on people confessing Christ as Lord and Savior, that's how the church is going to be built. Verse uh, verse 19 says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So, Peter makes his confession. Jesus says, on this rock, people making confessions about Christ, I'm going to build my church. One of the two places Jesus says the word church. Then he says, I will give you, and I think he's speaking to Peter, but by extension, the church, given the context, the keys, the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What Jesus is doing here is giving authority to the church to affirm confessions of faith. Just as Jesus just affirmed Peter's confession of faith, so the church has been given by Jesus the authority to confirm confessions of faith. In other words, the church is the church, God's gathered group of of people, followers, holy ones, saints, who has the authority to put a stamp of approval on who is in and who is out of the kingdom of heaven based on the genuineness of one's confession of faith. Let's look at the other time Jesus talks about The church, Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Uh, Ronnie talked about this passage a little bit last week. This is the church discipline passage. If a brother sins against you, what do you do? Well, you go to him. You say, you sinned against me. If he doesn't listen to you and repent, then you go get two or three witnesses. You bring those witnesses along. If he doesn't listen and repent and is still, still living in his sin, verse 17 says, if he refuses to listen to them, the two or three witnesses, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So if he doesn't listen to the witnesses, take it to the church, this gathering of, 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 of Christ's people. And if he doesn't listen to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. This is Jesus' talk for a non-believer. Basically, you start viewing this person who is walking in unrepentant sin and not listening to correction and discipline as a non-believer. So just as the church has authority to to affirm the genuineness of a confession of faith by including someone in the church, the church also has the authority to deny a confession of faith by excluding them when they are living in unrepentant sin. And the fruit of their life is not matching up with the confession of their mouth. Quick side note, this alone is an argument for church membership. I don't know how we would do that, what Jesus is calling the church to do without some kind of structure to define who is in and who is out. But it's not the point here. The point is that membership is not required for salvation. You do not have to be a member to be saved, but salvation is required for membership. Membership does not earn your salvation, but it does affirm it. All this means that the membership process uh, is a big deal, and we're taking it very seriously. And so I joke, we're just going to ask, we could just ask, but the process that we've laid out is so that we can, with conviction, live out what it is that Jesus has called the church to do, with the kind of authority that he's given the church to do. We're taking Jesus' words seriously, and so it matters. It matters how you become a member at a church. Okay, that's becoming a member. Now, what will it look like, look like to be a member? Go back to Acts chapter 2, looking at verse 42 now. It says, after they, the 3,000, repent, they repent and are baptized, and this is what they do. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So as a member, what will membership look like? How will you be a member? You're committing to doing these things inside a specific local church context. Members listen to the teaching of the word, and they pray with one another and for one another. Members take the Lord's Supper together and remember God Jesus' body and blood on the cross. Members are, are here, they're present. Notice it says that they're devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to being together. So members are present. They're present here on Sunday mornings, regularly and consistent in GC groups throughout the week, spending time together. Members are committed financially contributing to the church's needs, giving regularly and generously and addressing needs as they come up. Not just financial needs, but needs for help, serving in the kids ministry and on the hospitality team and in the band. And when there is needs in the church, it's the members that come alongside one another and are committed to helping and serving. Uh, Members have a vote. And so members will be voting on who our elders are, voting elder candidates in the office of elder, and then voting member candidates into membership as well. Members have a vote. We're going to have quarterly member meetings. And so once a quarter, there will be a member meeting, which is where that vote will take place for new elders and new members. It's also where we'll discuss family business, uh, where regular updates on the church will be talked about. Those will happen in those member meetings. Uh, We've been saying that our word for this year is all in, two words hyphenated, all in. And that's what it looks like to be a member, is to be all in. In every aspect of the life of the church, you're there. You're all in. You're here and and you're for it and you're for one another. We recognize that Jesus has gone all in with us, giving us his life, his perfect life, taking our death and the new life we have in his resurrection. And now we, in return, go all in with him. Going all in with Jesus includes being committed to a local church where we go all in with one another to relate to God, one another, and the world. So how will it look? Now I want to talk about how it will feel. First thing is we're going to do this very slowly, okay? Uh, the, the membership rollout process and, and just as we, as we work through this together as a church family this year, it's going to go very slow. Throughout the year, there's going to be four membership classes, one a quarter. The first one, the first membership class is going to be just for staff, elders, and gospel community group leaders. So out of the four membership classes we're having this year, one of them uh, will be filled with staff GC group leaders and elders. That leaves three throughout the rest of the year. So we're not going to rush this. It's not like at the end of this four-week series, you got to decide like right now, are you in? Are you out? Like three, two, one, choose now, go. Um, Office reference for no? Okay. Um, Watch it later. Um, We're not going to rush this. You don't have to decide right away if you are all in at GCC. We're going to do this slowly. In fact, if, if if at the end of this, you're like, man, I'm not sure. There's room for you to maybe you would consider yourself like half in, like you love GCC, you're here, but you still have some questions. There's still some things you're unsure about. You'd be like, I'm like half in. I've got one foot in the door. I need some time. That's okay. There's room for that. There's space for that. That's okay. Maybe you're just visiting. You're like, I'm not even, I'm not even dipping my toes in. I'm just looking in. Like I'm, I'm on the outside looking in, just getting to know this church. Maybe even getting to know who Jesus is. That's okay too. So glad you're here. Please keep coming back. There's room for that in this whole membership process as well. So how is it going to feel slow? Okay, we're going to do this slowly and patiently. Secondly, it's going to feel relational. So the minute you start talking about applications and interviews and voting and meetings and all that kind of stuff, it can sound very wooden, very rigid, very inorganic. That's not not the desire. The desire is that this will be done relationally. Structure is necessary. You need the structure of your coffee cup to hold the organic coffee that is in it. The church needs the structure of meetings and voting and all that kind of stuff to hold the organic relational stuff that's going to happen as well. So our desire is that this is going to be relational. It's going to be done with dialogue, with care, with love, and our hope is with unity. And at the end of the day, we will not do this perfectly. This series is not going to explain everything perfectly. Um, the membership process is not going to run smoothly and perfectly. The elders are not going to do this perfectly. It's not going to be perfect. So if your expectation is perfection, I would kindly ask that you please lower that expectation a little bit. Our goal is not necessarily perfection. It's transparency and it's growth together as a church body. Ronnie said this last week. I'm going to say it again, and we're going to keep saying this. If this is bringing up questions, if you have no idea what I've been talking about this whole time and you're like, I need help. If, if you want clarity, if you have concerns, if something we have said is like making you angry, please talk to us. The door is wide open for conversation with the elders. So if you have any questions about this, if you have concerns, please, we want to be open and transparent about this. Come talk to us. Talk to Ronnie, me, Rick, Jake. We would love to have conversations with you in dialogue about this. I would also say, I don't know if we've said this in a while. This is a book. Uh, Jonathan Lehman Church Membership, and there's a stack of copies on the connect table. These are free for you. So if you want to know more about what we're doing, you're going to hear some of what's in this book on Sunday mornings in the rest of this series, but there's a lot more in here than what we're going to be able to say. This is a very good book. That's super accessible. Uh, It's short, a little longer than a pamphlet, still a book, but this is free for you. So please take one, read it. This is going to answer a lot of the questions you might have about church membership. Our God is a relational God who has reconciled us to him and to one another through the blood of Jesus. And our relationships now are covered by his perfect, precious blood. And so as we grow together as a church through this process, let us all remember the one unifying thing that we have in common. We once were sinners, but by no effort of our own, we've been made saints. Perfect and holy in the eyes of God because we're clothed in Christ's perfection. And it's under this glorious umbrella of Christ's righteousness that we grow in what it looks like to relate to God, one another, and the world. So the last thing I would ask is that you would pray. That you would pray with us and for us as a church, uh, that church membership would help us do that and help us be conformed in the image of Christ as a body. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us enough to send your son to experience the relational turmoil uh, that we have caused because of sin so that we could be brought back in to you, that we could be brought back into your love and your relationship. God, I ask that as we as a church work through this this transition and this change and how we're going to live out life as a church, God, that you'd be helping us. God, help the elders to lead uh, graciously and clearly. God, help us all as a, a church family to uh, pursue this Uh, in unity, to pursue this in love, uh, to pursue this graciously. God, we just, our our desire is not to cause um, confusion or frustration or whatever it might be. God, our desire is to be faithful to you, be faithful to scripture uh, and to, to more faithfully love you and your church and this world. So help us to do that. God, help us to do that with church membership. Help us to do that in the conversations we have with one another. God we we love you and we we thank you for your love for us we pray this in Jesus name amen